Today on the Johnny Kerberg Show, what is the greatest obstacle that keeps people from believing God exists? Many say it's the problem of evil and suffering, which asks, how could a good God, who is all-loving and all-powerful, allow so much evil and suffering in the world? My guest today, who will address both the emotional and intellectual side of this problem, is philosopher Dr. William Lane Craig considered by many to be the top Christian philosopher of our generation. Dr. Craig holds a PhD in philosophy from the University of Birmingham in England and also a Doctor of Theology degree from the University of Munich. Join us for this edition of The Johnny Kerberg Show. Welcome to our program, I'm John Ackerberg. Thanks for joining me today. We come to a question that may be the main question that keeps many people from believing in the Christian God. It's the problem of evil and suffering. And it goes like this, how can a good God, who's all loving and all powerful, allow so much evil and suffering in the world? And my guest today is one of the finest philosophers in the world, Dr. William Lane Craig. And Dr. Craig, how would you go about answering this question? In dealing with this question, John, I think it's vitally important that we distinguish between what I call the intellectual problem of evil and the emotional problem of evil. The intellectual problem of evil concerns how to give a rational account of the coexistence of God and the suffering in the world. The emotional problem concerns how to dissolve people's dislike or abhorrence of a God who would permit them or others to suffer terribly. And I think this distinction is vitally important because the answer to the philosophical problem will probably appear dry and uncaring to the person who is actually suffering emotionally from evil. On the other hand, the answer to the emotional problem is apt to appear superficial uh, and philosophically inadequate to someone contemplating it as a mere philosophical question. So I believe that most people are really dealing with an emotional problem of evil, not an intellectual problem. But it's important to address both because people think the problem is intellectual, and by dissolving that version of the problem, we can then really get to the root issue, which is the emotional problem. Let's start with the intellectual problem then. The intellectual problem, again, comes in two different versions that's important to distinguish. The logical version, and the probabilistic version. The logical version of the problem says that the coexistence of God and evil is logically impossible. They're like the irresistible force and the immovable object. If one exists, the other cannot exist. And since evil and suffering obviously exist, therefore it follows that God cannot exist. By contrast, the probabilistic version says well, the coexistence of God and evil is logically possible, all right, we'll concede that, but nevertheless, it's highly improbable. Given the evil and suffering in the world, it's very improbable that God exists. Yeah, so take the first one. The logical version of the problem of evil basically says that these two propositions are logically inconsistent with each other. An all-loving, all-powerful God exists, and evil exists. And since evil and suffering obviously exist, it follows that an all-powerful, all-loving God does not exist. That's the logical version of the problem of evil. 
The problem with this version, John, is that no one has ever been able to demonstrate a logical contradiction between those two propositions. After all, one is not the negation of the other. So if the atheist is claiming that these two propositions are contradictory, he must mean they're implicitly contradictory because they're not explicitly contradictory. But in that case he must be assuming some hidden premises that would bring out the contradiction and make it explicit. And the difficulty is that no atheist, no philosopher, has ever been able to identify successfully what those hidden premises are that would bring out this contradiction and make it explicit. Bill, you say we can go one step further and say that we can actually prove the, that the existence of God and evil are logically consistent. How in the world can you do that? Yes, not only has the atheist fail to show that they are inconsistent, we can show that positively they are consistent. All we need to do is add a third premise which is consistent with God's being all-powerful and all-loving and entails that evil exists. And here is such a premise. God has morally sufficient reasons for permitting evil and suffering. As long as that premise is even possibly true, it shows that there is no inconsistency between the existence of God and the existence of evil and suffering. So the atheist would have the very heavy burden of proof of showing that it is logically impossible that God has morally sufficient reasons for allowing the evil and suffering in the world. And no atheist has ever been able to successfully shoulder that burden of proof. And therefore I'm very pleased to be able to say today to our viewers that it is widely acknowledged among philosophers, even by atheist philosophers, that the logical version of the problem of evil has been solved. This version of the problem has been put to rest. There is no logical inconsistency between God and the evil and suffering in the world. Yeah, and if folks want to hear all of the reasons why philosophers have arrived at that conclusion, they can read your book, Reasonable Faith, and it's all in there, and it's terrific. But let's go back to even a deeper problem, that's the probabilistic problem of evil. Why yes. is that even more difficult? Well, because the conclusion is more modest, it is easier to prove when you make a more modest claim. So this problem says, all right, all right, it's, it's logically possible that God and evil coexist, but still it's highly improbable. Given the depth and the extent of the suffering in the world, it's improbable that there is an all-powerful and all-loving God. All right, Bill, you say there are three main reasons why it is not improbable that God exists even when there is evil and suffering in the world. Yes, I think that the atheist still cannot bear the burden of proof of showing that the evil and suffering in the world make God's existence improbable. The first reason he can't do this is because we're just not in a good position to assess with any confidence the probability that God lacks morally sufficient reasons for the evils that we see in the world. As finite persons, we are limited in intelligence, in insight, in space and time. And it may well be that God's reasons for permitting the evil and suffering in the world might not emerge within our finite frame of reference. 
God is an infinite God who sees the end of history from the beginning and orders events toward his previsioned ends. And it might well be that the reasons that God has for allowing evil and suffering to enter our limited frame of reference may not emerge in history until hundreds of years from now, maybe in another country. Every event that occurs in human history, no matter how trivial, sends a kind of ripple effect through history that has completely unforeseen consequences for those who are limited in time and space. To give an illustration of this, in a rapidly developing field of modern science called chaos theory, scientists have shown that even an event so trivial as the fluttering of a butterfly's wings sitting on a twig in the jungles of Africa can set in motion forces which will eventually cause a hurricane over the Atlantic Ocean. And yet no one observing that little butterfly can even in principle predict such an outcome. Now similarly, the brutal murder of an innocent man or a child's dying of leukemia sends a ripple effect through history so that God's morally sufficient reasons for allowing this to occur may never emerge within our lifetime and may be so complex that we could never in principle predict such an outcome. So when you contemplate God's providence over the whole of human history and His directing a world of free persons toward His previsioned ends, I think you can see it really is quite hopeless for us to be able to say with any kind of confidence that it is improbable that God has morally sufficient reasons for permitting this or that evil that we observe to occur. Now, the second reason why you say it is not improbable that God exists while evil and suffering exist in the world is that we have certain biblical doctrines that acknowledge the existence of evil. How do these relate? The Christian faith entails certain doctrines that greatly increase the probability of evil in the world if the Christian God exists. What this means is that evil and suffering are really not all that surprising on Christian theism. Now what are some of these doctrines? Well the first is that the purpose of life is not human happiness in this life, but rather the knowledge of God. I think the reason the problem of suffering seems so difficult is that we naturally tend to assume that if God exists, then His purpose for our lives is happiness in this world. God's role is to construct a nice, comfortable terrarium for His human pets to flourish. But on the Christian view, this is false. We are not God's pets. Yeah. And the purpose of life is not human happiness in this world, but the knowledge of God which will bring about ultimate human happiness and fulfillment. And so many evils occur in this life which may be utterly irrelevant to producing human happiness, but they may not be irrelevant to producing a deeper knowledge of God. It may well be that through the evil and suffering in the world, God actually uses these as a means of bringing people to a deeper knowledge of Himself. Yeah, you say the second reason, biblical reason, is that man is in a state of rebellion against God and His purposes. Exactly. Mankind is in a state of spiritual rebellion against God. He has flouted God's moral law. He has plunged himself into 
immorality and degeneracy. And the terrible inhumanity of man to man in this world is simply testimony to the state of man's moral depravity in this condition of spiritual alienation from God. And the Bible says God does not intervene to stop this. He lets human depravity run its course. And this only serves to underline our need of God's forgiveness and moral cleansing and salvation. Yeah, so the Christian reading their Bible is not surprised to find evil in the world. Not at all. On the contrary, the Christian will expect it given our state of alienation and estrangement from God. You say the third biblical doctrine is the knowledge of God spills over into eternal life, which is very important. This is incredibly important. This life is not all there is. On the biblical view, this life is but the cramped and narrow foyer that leads into the great banquet hall of God's eternity. And for those who have borne their suffering and uh, pain in this life, in courage and dependency upon God, they will look back on this life and say that it was worth going through this a million, million, million times over in order to know this joy and this happiness that they have in heaven. The Apostle Paul lived a life of incredible suffering when you think about it, and yet he was able to write, we do not lose heart, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul imagines, as it were, a scale on which the rottenness and the suffering of this life is weighed against the weight of glory that God will bestow upon His children in heaven. And he says the weight of glory is so heavy that the sufferings of this life are not even worth being compared to it. And think about this, the longer we spend in eternity with God, the more the sufferings of this life shrink by comparison to literally an infinitesimal moment. And that's why Paul could call them a slight, momentary affliction. He wasn't being insensitive to those who suffered terribly. On the contrary, he was one of them. But he understood that in light of eternity, the sufferings of this life cannot be compared to the joy and the blessing that God will bestow upon His children in heaven. The fourth biblical reason is the knowledge of God, you say, is an incommensurable good. Explain that. This point is also made by Paul in the passage that I just quoted. He says that the sufferings of this life can't even be compared to the blessing that we will know in heaven. To know God, the source of infinite goodness and love, is an incomparable good. The sufferings of this life can't even be compared to it. And therefore, the person who knows God, no matter how much he suffers, no matter how awful his pain, can still truly say, God is good to me because he knows God, an incommensurable good. These four Christian doctrines, if true, greatly decrease any improbability that the evil and the suffering in the world might be thought to throw upon the existence of God. So I think that at the end of the day, 
the suffering and the evil in the world do not render the existence of the Christian God improbable. On the contrary, I think the existence of the Christian God makes it quite probable that we would observe the evil and suffering in the world that we do. All right, Bill, let's change hats and go back to our outline here and say that the third reason that shows that it's probable that God exists and also allows evil to exist is the full scope of the evidence. Exactly. When the atheist says that it's improbable that God exists, we immediately need to ask ourselves, improbable relative to what? You see, probabilities are always relative to background information. For example, let's suppose that Sven is a young Swedish fellow and that it's 90% probable that uh, young Swedish fellows ski. Well, relative to that background information, that makes it highly probable that Sven is a skier. But now, suppose that we acquire the additional background information that Sven is a double amputee and that 95% of Swedish double amputees do not ski. Well, now suddenly, relative to this new background information, it's highly improbable that Sven is a skier. So when someone says it's improbable that God exists, you need to immediately ask improbable with respect to what? With respect to the evil and suffering in the world? Well, if that's all you consider for your background information, it's no wonder God's existence would look improbable relative to that alone. But that's not the really interesting question, is it? The interesting question is relative to the full scope of the background information, is God's existence probable? And I'm persuaded that when you consider the full scope of the information relative to God's existence, then God's existence turns out to be quite probable, even given any improbability that evil and suffering might be thought to throw upon his existence. There are several bits of information that you say support what you've just said. Tell us about that. In my debates and articles, I've defended a number of arguments for God's existence. For example, I think that God is the best explanation of why the universe exists rather than nothing. I think God is the best explanation of the origin of the universe at a point in the finite past. I think God is the best explanation of the fine-tuning of the universe for intelligent interactive life. I think God is the best explanation for the existence of objective moral values and duties in the world. And I would argue that God is the best explanation for the historical facts concerning the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So that when you consider the full scope of the background information, I think these arguments make it very probable that God exists, even given any improbability that evil and suffering might be thought to throw upon the existence of God. Those who propound the problem of evil typically assume there's nothing on the other side of the scale. But in fact, I think there is preponderant evidence for the existence of God on the other side of the scale that simply outweighs any improbability that results from evil and suffering. Yeah, but you made an astonishing statement in one of your books, is that the problem of evil actually proves the existence of God. Explain that. This is related to the argument that I mentioned that God is the best explanation of objective moral values in the world. If God does not exist as an absolute standard for good and evil, 
then there really are no objective moral values. These are just subjective illusions that are built into us from biological evolution and social conditioning. So that we could argue as follows. Premise one, if God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. Many atheists concede that point. Number two, evil exists. That's the atheist contention. Three, therefore, objective moral values do exist. Namely, some things are evil, from which it follows for, therefore, God exists. So, paradoxically, even though evil at an emotional level seems to call into question God's existence, at a deeper philosophical level, evil actually proves God's existence because in the absence of God, good and evil as such would not exist. Bill, I think it's so important that people also realize that the Christian faith has something to say that's very important about the emotional problem of evil. That's right. These mental machinations in response to the intellectual problem of evil may not be very comforting to someone who's actually going through terrible emotional pain as a result of suffering. And the question is, does the Christian faith have something to say about that emotional problem of evil? And I think it certainly does, John, because it tells us that God is not some distant creator who stands aloof, cold, and indifferent to the universe he has made. Rather, he is a loving Heavenly Father who shares our sufferings and hurts with us. In fact, in the person of Jesus Christ, he enters into human history and he identifies with us by taking on our suffering and our sin. Alvin Plantinga, who is one of the greatest philosophers in the world today, has written the following with respect to this problem. As the Christian sees things, God does not stand idly by, coolly observing the suffering of his creatures. He enters into and shares our suffering. He endures the anguish of seeing his son, the second person of the Trinity, consigned to the bitterly cruel and shameful death of the cross. Christ was prepared to endure the agonies of hell itself in order to overcome sin and death and the evils that afflict our world, and to confer on us a life more glorious than we can imagine. He was prepared to suffer on our behalf to accept suffering of which we can form no conception. You see, on the cross, Christ innocently bore a suffering that none of us can contemplate. He bore the punishment for the sin of the whole world. So that when we think about the emotional problem of evil, I think meditation upon the cross of Christ and what He was willing to go through because of His love for me can help to give me the strength and the courage to bear the cross that He calls upon me to bear in this finite life until I go to be with Him in glory. For those who are absolutely crushed by either health problems or evil that has come into their life, they've lost a loved one, what would you say to them to encourage them? I would encourage them to meditate upon the wounds of Christ, to think of the depth of suffering that He underwent for you in order to bring you to God. And that can help to give you the courage and the strength to bear the suffering that He calls on you to bear. Take an example like Johnny Erickson Tata, whom many of us 
admire. She was paralyzed in a diving accident as a 17-year-old and has now lived 45 years as a quadriplegic, had breast cancer, experiences pain, and yet she is a radiant Christian, thankful to know God and living a fruitful and productive life despite the terrible evil that she suffered. She can be an inspiration to us to find redemptive purposes in our suffering and to trust God and His goodness to get us through this life until we go home to be with Him forever and to experience a recompense literally beyond comprehension. Folks, if you got anything from the program today, I want you to know that God cares about you and is already involved in your life and wants to do more if you'll call to Him and ask for His help. Next week, we're going to turn to the important question of who was Jesus? How can we tell He really said the things that we see in the four Gospels? It's an important program. I hope you'll join us then. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's program. If you'd like to have all of the information in our new series, Does God Exist? Arguments for the Existence of God with philosopher Dr. William Lane Craig, it is available now on DVD. In this series, he answers the questions, what difference does it make if God exists or not? What would the implications be if God did not exist? Then he presents five good reasons why God does exist and he explains why the origin of the universe is strong evidence, both scientifically and philosophically, for the existence of God. Finally, he addresses the problem of evil and suffering, which says, if God is all-loving and all-powerful, then he wouldn't allow evil and suffering to exist. But evil does exist. Therefore, God does not exist. Dr. Craig explains how to answer both the intellectual and emotional parts of this argument. All four programs in this important series are available on DVD for a gift of $49. Then we taped a second series with Dr. Craig entitled, The Case for the Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus. In this series, he answers the questions, how do we know that the gospel records about Jesus' life are historically trustworthy? And how do we know that the writers didn't just make up the sayings and stories about Jesus? Then, who did Jesus think himself to be? Did Jesus really claim to be the Messiah and the unique Son of God? What four historical facts accepted by a wide spectrum of New Testament scholarship today lead to the conclusion that Jesus really did rise from the dead? The three programs in this series are available on DVD for a gift of $39. And finally, these two series are available together for a gift of $88. Or you may go to our website at jashow.org and order them as a digital download for $35. And you may order this special package now by calling us at 1-800-805-3030. That's 1-800-805-3030. And you may call that same number any day this week, 24 hours a day. Or you may order these materials at our website at jashow.org. And then, those of you who live in Canada may call us at 1-866-746-5803. And our Canadian website is 
jashow.ca. And when we receive your gift, we will send you a receipt and a personal thank you. This program is sponsored by the John Ankerberg Show Ministries and is made possible by the grace of God and your faithful prayers and gifts.